welcome to Comedy Eaters. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. I'm Katie DeSanto. And today we have like a legit guest. <laughs> like a real guest. Not, I mean, we did just happen to go to college with him, but also even if we didn't go to college with him, he would stand on his own as an actual ex- expert. Tonight we are joined by Scott Newmeyer, a writer from Central New Jersey, whose work has been published by the New York Times, the Washington Post, Rolling Stone, the Wall Street Journal, ESPN, I Could Go On. He also is a literature major and a film major, and he loves movies. So you are overqualified for our show. Yeah. And <laughs> he lived in Hafey Hall. And he lived in Hafey Hall. He's, he's a more specific book. comm major. He is a more specific comm major. Yeah. He is the best of both of our worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Usually most, we have literature uh, Successful comm major we've ever had mm. on it's this show. I'm, I'm a chameleon. I'm happy to evolve into whatever you need me to be. <laughs> You are exactly and, the person we've been looking for. And that's how you get published. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and talent. And talent. Let's not forget yes. that part of it. Very talented. Uh, Thanks for joining t- us. Yes, this is fantastic. And we are going way back in the, the time machine here uh, to look at Cary Grant in Arsenic and Old Lace, inspired by Katie's childhood memories of things she was allowed to watch. This is um, when you were not allowed to watch Dirty Dancing. Was not allowed. No. Or any of those things, nope. and you were it instead watching a film about Arsenic and Old Lace, absolutely. The Song of Bernadette, <laughs> Sound of Music, Amazing. His Girl Friday. Mine was Rinse and Repeat. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, yeah, shut up. <laughs> I, I will say that I did used to watch On the Waterfront more yes, well, often you've talked about because this it, in the v, we had Prism when I was younger, you know, like the original cable, and we had a VCR, and we would tape all the movies, you know, onto. On the VHS, on the waterfront was on directly before Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I had to fast forward the entire on the waterfront movie to get to Raiders of the Lost Ark every time I wanted to watch. So you didn't really watch it. <laughs> I did. I mean, I I, I kind of had an understanding of the plot because it wasn't the kind of like you'd have to like stop and see like where you are. Mm. It wasn't like you. It, if I remember correctly, you couldn't really watch the movie fast forward. It wasn't like that. It was. Yeah, yeah it I was, hear you. Yeah. All right. And then anyway. you finally watched the film in Raj Wallace's film uh, studies. That was group. one of our. That movie. was one of our date movies in your film class. <laughs> Bring Katie to film four hundred. Free date. Hey, you, free date. You, you weren't even in the class. Friday afternoon at three p.m. Was... Highland Hall. Yeah, I got him to. Uh, I got him to send me all my essays that I wrote for the class. No way. Oh, That's well, awesome. Yeah. Because I was going back through my stuff and I'm like, I, I really need these. Like I, I felt lost without them. And I'm like, can you send? He's like, yeah, I'll send them to you. Sure. That's amazing so that he lot. had them. I I, I'm very impressed. Like as a teacher, I'm like, I have nothing. That my, like I, how do you, I'm amazed that he had them. Yeah. He I said he saved everything. By the way, Katie, that is a fantastic triple feature. Uh, this film and Song of Bernadette, which is phenomenal. <laughs> I, tr- I tried to, my mom's super religious, right? So I tried to get my mom to watch it and she, she got it. She gave it back to me afterwards. She's like, I couldn't watch this. It was too depressing. It's, it is a double VHS is a double. Because they I could not fit days, the double VHS. They could not days. fit that story on one VHS tape. I remember watching that by myself in the basement of my house and being like, "Am I being punished? Is this, <laughs> is this a punishment?" I think I think the double VHS we we had was we had the God. I think the Godfather was a double VHS. Sound and of music. Yes, you had the, the, the sound, sound of music. music yes, and Ben Hur. Mm. Yeah. Well, oh, ben and the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. We also ben had the Ten yeah, Commandments. Ten Commandments yeah. definitely were. Um, um, well, I'm grateful that we watched Casablanca because that's what dredged up all of these regressed memories yeah. of Arsenic and Old Lace because Peter Lorre yes. showed up in Casablanca and I was like, whoa, what's happening in my brain? Arsenic and well, Old Lace. You know, we are a cutting edge film podcast. <laughs> Two thirds of the podcast had never seen Casablanca, and we were 130 something episodes. I don't know if we should say that very loudly. <laughs> um, all right, but before we get started, yeah. we must discuss what we are drinking oh, this yeah. episode because Katie is on an amazing run of film inspired drinks. This is like the best what do thing you have for us. I mean, I was just drinking the same stuff every week until I started asking for suggestions, and now every week's an adventure. Yeah. So obviously the the drink that would go along best with arsenic and old lace besides arsenic would be the elderberry wine. Uh, I wasn't about to try to find that. But St. Germain is elderflower liqueur. Mm-hmm. And okay. so thank you to commenter Lisa Reno who made that suggestion. 
James made me this delicious beverage, which is an elder elderflower cocktail. Yeah. Do you want to tell what's in it? It's Saint Germain, a dry white wine, mm. uh, twist of lemon and seltzer. And look at look, look at the little twisty that he made me. It's yeah. like it's a very that's a very impressive twist. <laughs> very classy. It's yeah. The lemon was on the green looking. side, but mm. came from. I Mr. like Market. it though. I like it. It gives it a little bit of a mysterious edge. It's like, is it a lime? Is it a lemon? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Nobody would have known. Delicious. I'm channeling uh, Matthew McConaughey in my uh, wild turkey rare breed in my Mando glass from Keenan. This is the way. (laughs) It's a little spicy, that one. Yeah, it's good. Mm. It's barrel proof. Love it. it. All right. I have a very, I got a very special uh, gift given to me uh, the other day. I got a 1973 bottle of Seagram's Canadian whiskey. Oh, that was fancy. From one un- of your students? Oh, n- not from a student. No, not from a student. What, why, is, why would I be receiving alcohol from students? It's our signal lace. We got to add a twist to the story. Uh, but it is fantastic. So I opened it up. So it's delicious. All right. Uh, and I, yes, Scott, what do you have? I am drinking good old fashioned water in here. I love it. <laughs> Anything I would have drank that would have been made in this house after watching this film, I was a little nervous. <laughs> being um, the other reason is I stopped drinking after college because I drank far too much with you fools. So if I was, however, going to drink a beer, it would be a yingling lager. Oh, Many. Scott Newmeyer. Yeah. Well done. Well oh, done. It's a standby. Um, all right. It is time for the rundown. I'm going to be honest. I've never written a rundown this long. Why? It, the, yeah. the plot for this movie is like insanely intricate. And you also feel like you can't leave any of it out. We've done tenant. We yeah, we, we talked about tenant. <laughs> Time travel, shrapnel, traveling backwards. Boom. Okay. Well, I, and I, I this needed this needed this. more Here we than go. that. All right. <clears throat> All right. Can't wait. Mortimer made a living mocking marriage. Then he met and fell in love with the girl next door. He worried about getting public <laughs> getting getting going public with his I just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna is, go fresh. Is, is the, is this is why it's going to be so long. Is it actually yeah, well, long, or is it just actually also reading my hand? All the stuff that you mentioned is not really necessary. I felt like I needed to give Mortimer's backstory. No? Okay, should I just skip well, through that? that. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> Worried about his secret nuptials going public, Mortimer goes to his aunt's house. Turns out, his secret nuptials are the least surprising part of his day when he finds out that his sweet old aunties are serial killers. His brother Teddy is the unknowing accomplice burying the bodies in the basement. His other brother, Jonathan, turns out to also be a killer with the face of Boris Karloff. He and his deranged plastic surgeon friend are competing for the new burial plot in the basement. Brooklyn, am I right? Yeah, good work. Yeah, Yeah. Brooklyn. You need all of that. You need all of those details. Maybe. All of them. (laughs) <laughs> maybe Discuss. all right it is time for grade of the week on a scale from a plus to f minus how would you grade arsenic and old lace and as always we go to our guest first scott how would you grade arsenic and old lace so uh, i think i'm gonna go with a b minus and the reason for that is uh, uh i appreciate what the film's trying to do i think the film's very funny and darkly funny and i love Fran- I-, I-, I love capra but it doesn't age particularly well in a lot of areas. So it loses a little bit of a point for that. But B, I think B minus is a fair number. And I think probably better than most critics would give it these days. You know, I've got to go with A. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> I am did, sorry. She, she did give Rad a B plus the, one week. The Scott, joy on my board. face during this film. The yeah, joy you, in my you had heart. A great time I had a great time watching this movie. This movie gets an A for me. Yeah. And right. and I was just surprised, pleasantly surprised, by how relevant the humor still felt to me. Like I just felt like I don't know. There were just moments where I was like, that doesn't feel. 80 years old that felt 
Fresh. Yeah. Fresh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with um, a B, a solid B. I enjoy this movie a lot. Um, yeah. But I agree with Scott. There's definitely some things that made me just go, eh, you know, I don't feel great about that. But um, yeah, there are other things that I found very humorous we can get to. I'll, I think Scott's dead on the same grade I would have given. I think B minus for a lot of the reasons he said. And I do think it's interesting doing this so close to Casablanca because I think there's a discussion to be had of how do dramas compare to comedies when they age over periods of time. And I do think that this was probably a much funnier film at the time than it is now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give it some credit for that. And I just think that some of it doesn't age maybe as well when we talk about it. So, um, but this is an interesting one because we've been on this crazy run of plays that were turned into films on the show recently. Uh, and then this one in particular, I think has some really crazy stuff that I know Scott knows about, like how it came to be a film because a lot of times like plays are popular for a while and become films or like Casablanca was, was weird, was sold before it even hit the play. This one was almost simultaneously a play in a film, right? Scott, and it affects who's in the movie. In fact. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened actually was they wanted to make this a film and, and Capra's like, okay, I want to do a little short film. It's, I don't want to do something serious. You know, I don't want to spend a ton of time. Let's do it. Get it done. The problem was the the play did so well that they had to sit on it for about two years so that so that the play could continue its successful run. So they sat on it and then they brought in some of the people that that actually were in the uh, in the play. But the most important loss from the play was Karloff himself, who mm -hmm. played Boris Karloff, who played Jonathan, who looks like Boris Karloff <laughs> in the uh, in the movie. So they lost that. But they uh, they brought, I believe, the ants over and one other actor, maybe Teddy. I can't remember for sure. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it was Teddy. It was uh, I think they wanted Karloff, honestly. But Karloff was like, yeah, no, because he was the biggest draw, of course, for the play. I uh, am amazed that they shot this in eight weeks so, cause, because they were bringing the antis from the Broadway production. Right. There, there was an overlap. And so yeah. they they paused their performance for eight weeks on Broadway and shot this. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about that, that Karloff and Cary Grant could have been in this together. Yeah, I wonder. It's weird because because the play, if he was the big draw for the play, that seems almost like a little bit of a bait and switch because he's not right. he's not the main character and it, not that he he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but even even in the movie, he's sort of overshadowed by almost every other main character, mm -hmm. uh, even even Peter Lorre a little yeah. bit. So funny. Well, I thought to me the interesting choice is Cary Grant maybe in this one um I, I i believe wasn't wasn't bob bob hope like really yeah. wanted to do this movie correct it and that's back in the studio system and was he i think he was a i think bob hope was a paramount guy wasn't he and they like wouldn't loan him or something yeah. like that this i i do if i see this movie with bob hope i wonder if it ages slightly better but i oh, love those old bob hope comedies from that time period like the gumdrop kid and things like that. Like his humor as a comedian, I just think fits more with that See, time period. Harry Grant, I thought was so over the top in this that it was distracting hmm. at points to me. I, I really enjoyed Cary Grant in this role and I actually preferred him in this in comparison to North by Northwest where I, I felt like, he has a comedic timing. It it felt he felt so over the top to me in North by Northwest that I struggled with him in that movie. Um, more than over the top than in yeah, this. Or do you so think that this me, was more open to being over the top? I think the I think I saw matter. part of it as his character that his his character is just very animated. Um, and yes, part of it's just the the style of the humor, right? And and 
him juxtaposed with the aunties and they're just like like solid play of you know their belief that what they're doing is completely lovely <laughs> i don't know there's just like a beautiful the scenes with him and the aunties i think there's a a great contrast to who they are and how they play those roles um i don't know i really enjoyed him yeah, for me, I thought he was, he seemed like a good choice to me because I love the kind of tightrope he walks of being like this in a ridiculous situation, being a serious person. Because there's this whole subtext to this movie that is sort of lampooning playwrights and things like that, that he sort of like walks on that line as like a professional as well. Like, and, and so, you know, of course the cop wants to read him his script or, you know, tell him about the script and um, just all the different ways that he's put upon in this movie that, you know, he's getting pulled in like 8 million different directions and trying to like keep, keep every, you know, juggle and keep every ball in the air. I, I guess I don't know about Bob Hope. Like I, I can't imagine, I guess I don't, I don't have enough knowledge of his early stuff to say like he would be better. Um, I yeah I just I loved Cary Grant in this. I feel like if um if it had been, if if Bob Hope had ended up in the film it would have been this is like the darkest of dark comedies right it's like <laughs> the blackest you can possibly get a uh, black comedy and I feel like Bob Hope would have made this a lot lighter of a comedy that's fair and I'm not sure it would have worked as well for me honestly I really liked Cary Grant in this role I he's been blasted over the years for being over the top, being too much, too frenetic and crazed. But honestly, my favorite thing about him in this film is his, is his use of silence. I actually pulled a small clip. If you want me to play it, it's sure. about 30 seconds yeah. long. This is just to set this up. This is right after he finds out that Hoskins is in the window seat, spoiler alert. And the, the kids come for Halloween, they get their Halloween treats and he confronts the aunties. Uh, in the kitchen. Now, Mortimer, don't be so impatient. We'll let you lick the bowl after a while. Lick the bowl. Yeah. I don't want to lick the bowl. I want to know what we're going to do. Well, we're going to celebrate, dear. Celebrate? But look, Aunt Martha, there's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear, Mr. Hoskins. Oh, I know what his name is. I just want to know what we're going to do. Can yeah, I turn you over the police? Well, for pity's sake, stop worrying about it. We told you to forget about the whole thing. Forget? Look, my dear Aunt Martha, can't I make you realize that something has to be done? Now, Mortimer, you behave. You're too old to be flying off the handle like this. But, but Mr. Hoskins! Hoskins, dear. Well, whatever his name is, he's dead and you can't leave him in there. Well, we don't intend to, dear. No, Teddy's down in the cellar now, digging the lock. You mean you're going to bury Mr. Hodgkiss in the cellar? Oh, yes, dear. That's what we did with the others. <laughs> you can't. This moment. Others? <laughs> like that moment where he takes that little pause and he looks and he's like, the others? Yeah. That, that is perfect for me. Like those, yep. those silences he has in there are so great. And it's buttoned up by the fact that if you look around and you turn around and you see what it says across the bottom of the the stove, right? Reliable is the name of the stove, which was probably the brand of the stove at the time. But it speaks so much to the way these women are. Like they know exactly what they're doing. They're reliable in who they are and they're not going to change. And it's just who they are, you know? And that's what makes the, the scene so funny. Yeah, I, I really like what he does in this. He, he was not in love with this performance though, right, Scott? Wasn't that no, one of the things no. like, like he was... Apparently he, he almost felt this one of, he cringed apparently when he watched this, cause he felt that Capra was asking for them to be so over the top and yeah. that he felt that maybe it was his insecurity that again, the others had lived in those roles on Broadway that he yeah. was missing the mark at points. It's certainly possible. And one of the biggest changes from the play to this, perhaps maybe the biggest is that in the play, they're not getting married. Uh, they, but that having them get married in this kind of upped the sexual tension, it upped the stakes, it upped pretty much everything. 
So that was another one of Capra's decisions to kind of just, you know, raise the stakes and make things a little bit more frenzied, I guess. So the char- her character, Elaine, still exists in the play, but I mean, are yeah. they still, do they still have a romantic relationship? They do, but they, I can't remember, they, they're missing a date or something. It's okay. something very small. Right. It's not like they're, they're getting married and leaving. That's gotcha. really interesting because... Yeah. When you think about it, because of his, in the movie, because of his criticism of marriage, the idea that it starts with him wanting to get married, it's sort of like he's compromised who he is just right before learning that everyone's a killer around him. And like, what is that going to do to him? Like, where is his, where is his head at? Um, it, it is another way that he is being put upon in this movie, which is that there's this other, like, like Scott said, there's this other tension that. It, you know, it's not just sexual with with his his fiance or you know his his newly his bride, but it's it's the fact that like he was the guy that was never gonna get married. <laughs> now he is. Well, and yeah, and then also so that that pairing then when you meet the aunties and you realize that like um, they still trump Elaine, right? We're like in in, right. in in this scenario on this day, his wedding day, him protecting them is in his mind more important than him beginning the rest of his life with his wife, right? right? Like she gets shoved in the closet because like his aunties are in danger. Yeah. yeah. Right. But is he protecting her too? Which is kind of his his little soliloquy in the window, which we'll get to at at some point because I want to talk about that. But um, it does feel like he's protecting her a little bit also. I I love his character. I really do. Yeah. And I I love what you said about the, the silences. To me, his facial expressions, like watching him take in interactions between other characters, there's just like there's a physical comedy to him that didn't feel too over the top to me. Um it felt I, I don't know. Again, I watched him and thought like, "Wow, you can see threads in this movie to the humor that we yeah. enjoy. Like there were moments that felt like, oh, this feels like Saturday Night Live to me. Like, like, what, like there's- what do you think drew people to Cary Grant in films the most? What was it that made him so bankable to have like the big directors of that time period? You know, he worked with the biggest names at that time period in differing ways. What is what was his strongest point? Charisma. Charisma. He was just so charismatic. And it it was the smallest like look, the smallest glance he could give you that won you over. And it was immediate. You know what I mean? So I think that it was his charisma. And for me, this feels almost like this is his stepping out of his range in a way. Yep. You know what I mean? This is uh this is that that you know, Adam Sandler first taking his first comedic role, you know, or something like that. I mean, his first serious role, his role. Yeah. the other way around. Um, that's what it is for me. But I think it's his charisma that that made him so attractive to yep. everyone. This transatlantic accent. Yeah. <laughs> Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic. The transatlantic. Transatlantic. Same thing. It's all the same. Uh, same the, thing. the other thing, uh, just before we move on from him that he does a lot in this movie that is really hard to get away with is like that, like half talking to himself, muttering kind of thing that you, you understand exactly what he's saying because he's almost giving voice to the thoughts that you're having in that moment in such a really um, like human way that, that it's like, and he breaks the fourth wall. There's a moment in this movie where he looks directly down the barrel of the camera and is like, you're yeah. with me, right? Like we're yeah. in this together. Yeah, it, it's great. You can see it in that that conversation he has when he's on the phone with with Happy Dale, and she's like talking to him, and he's only paying attention to what he's doing on the phone. Yeah, like it's just it's such a weird dichotomy between those two. But it, I mean, it works at the end of the day. Like you know, you're happy for them to be together. By the way, the ending is different also in the film from the play. The the ending of the film has a little bit more of that Capra optimism mm. than the play did. So, well, other than, I mean, other than Cary Grant, what's interesting about this is the film's able to leave Cary Grant for chunks at a time yeah, because the mm-hmm. supporting cast in this film, I, I think might be one of its strongest points. 
I mean, you could debate Cary Grant all you want. The supporting cast, you you can't debate at all. And and to me, we saw Peter Lorre uh, in a, the briefest of roles, though still a, a key role, in a, and he was great in Casablanca. But he is this guy that always delivers in, I feel like, every scene he's in. Oh, and I'm Johnny. trying to think if there's even oh, a comparable. I said, way, I said, if you were alive, so a modern comparable to him. Does well, it, like every scene he's in, I feel Charlie like Day. he gets no. <laughs> if he, <laughs> Charlie Day. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil my, my casting list. Yeah. yeah. Just oh, don't yeah, do yeah, that. yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. So we'll say Fair. that to the end. I, I will say it's that so good. If, if for me, what I said to Katie is like, well, like I had, you know, I've known Peter Laurie's name forever, right? Like you just know his name. And I've missed two of his bigger movies, and I've never seen. Um, what's the other one, Brian? Um, Maltese Falcon. Is that oh, it? you've never seen the Maltese yeah. Falcon either. Yeah, and so seeing Casablanca in this in such close uh, proximity, I'm like, if he was alive today, he would be in every Coen Brothers movie, and maybe not anything else. <laughs> like <laughs> he's just that character of. Like he's so weird and lovable and hateable all at the same time, and I feel like he he would just fit into any of the Coen Brothers I, movies. And his character in this movie is so ingenious and unique in that like he is supposed to be diabolical, but you love him. Like you're yeah. like he is a sympathetic yep. character. <laughs> like like he's trying to talk the serial killer down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like do it the quick way. Yeah. Kill, I mean, kill and eventually nicely. ends up saving the day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what yeah. about the the ants? Because I feel we were I think we were all even in the pre-show notes trying to talk about like racking our brains for comparables in in films or things like that, where you get characters like that, because it is a unique spin on a family dynamic that they present in this movie. Yeah, it's um. The ants to me immediately stood out and I haven't watched this film in many years. And then I will rewatch it again this week. And when the pandemic first started, the only thing I could watch, I wasn't watching movies and I'm a guy that watches tons and tons and tons of movies. Um, I couldn't watch anything except comfort food TV. So I went back to my like go-to shows. I, I try to rewatch the entire series at least once a year. Right. I have the luxury of working from home so I could do that. Um, the Waltons, Little House on the Prairie, Murder, She Wrote, things oh, like that. Right, Those are like my go-to comfort food shows. So the first thing that came to mind right away was The Waltons. And if you're unfamiliar with The Waltons, it's a show that takes place there in the Depression era. You've probably heard the expression, goodnight, John Boy, all that kind of stuff. That's from The Waltons, right? So there's these two women in The Waltons that are old spinsters. Uh, they're named the Baldwin's twins, right? And they have names but it's always the baldwin twins like that's the baldwin sisters so what they do is they, they live in this mansion that their father owned at one point and it's just the two of them and what they do uh, unbeknownst to them is they are bootleg whiskey makers so you know they they call it the recipe you know it was their daddy's recipe and uh everybody comes over to get some and they just think that they're having a grand old time and 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 being nice old ladies they have no clue whatsoever because they're so naive that they're bootlegging with whiskey which is incredibly illegal at the time right like they actually go so far at one point to they want to send uh, a bottle of it to FDR because they want the president to taste the recipe i love it um so for me this the brewster sisters was a direct precursor to the baldwin sisters very similar in in their mannerisms very similar in their humor and their naivete but also just their seriousness mm -hmm. um that was like a straight line for me right to them. So that, that was satisfying for me to see that. Yeah. Having watched so much Waltons. That's, I mean, I love the show. So that's great. We have to check it out. Cause I, I don't think I've ever, never I think I've seen it. a couple here and there, but. Oh, I, I just remember watching it as a kid and enjoying, I always got, I feel like a lot of times people got, and they're not even the same time periods or anything. It was like, you watched either the Waltons or little house on the prairie. Yeah. And like a lot of times people mix those up in their mind mm -hmm. 
in terms of what they were there. I also found it interesting. I was like the the reverse of Scott. Like when the pandemic started, all I could do was watch movies. It's like I, I didn't want to commit to and I watched like 260 something movies last year because of it. But I, I had watched Rope um, recently, which I love. I don't know if Jim and Katie, I'm sure Scott's seen Rope from Hitch, Hitchcock. But like the idea of the body being hidden, like I, I loved that in the proximity of those two films to one another. Obviously, they're they're wildly different takes on what it is. And then there's the whole thing, too, that instead of Cary Grant, you go with Jimmy Stewart and, you know, the whole swapping of, of those two in Hitchcock films and which is better and all that type of stuff. Both essentially well. locked room mysteries, though. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Though, as much as I liked Rope and I think Rope's great. Um, this one is is more fun. There, there, there's an element of fun to this. I'll tell you what I didn't realize until we said we were doing this. How many freaking people were in high school productions yes. of this play? And I, I had to be honest, I had no idea. By the way, one of them being my wife that was in a high school production <laughs> of, well, of this play. And that's interesting, Brian. I think that this might be one of those stories that more people have seen on stage than have seen the actual yeah. film version. That was me. I yeah. My high school, St. Joe's Prep, did this when I was a sophomore. Sophomore, I think they did it. And uh, Don McCluskey, mm-hmm. musician Don oh, McCluskey, no was way. the lead. Yeah, and he was fantastic. And it was hilarious. Um. But yeah, it, it, I remember like the physical comedy of it, like the he was, you know, wrapping himself up with the phone cord and different times and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, this and screams like 1970s, late 70s Chevy Chase. Yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. It's yeah. very interesting like, because in there are. So I think the major difference. So I have not seen it done on stage. I think that there is a tonal difference. Just imagining what this feels like on stage the way they use lighting and sound in this film, like there are moments that are scary, you know, like the, the moments at night where they're like dragging the body and then Elaine comes in. Am I getting her name right? I feel like I'm, is, yeah, is that right. Right? Is no, no, you're right. Um, yeah. And she gets dragged down to the basement. There are moments where even though you know, like you feel like this is all going to work out, right? It's got, it's got to all work out. Like this is, it's a comedy. Yeah. There are definitely moments where there's like a, you're holding your breath. Um, and I love the way that they use the, the light and the darkness in, in this film. Um, yeah. I feel like on stage you would lose that. I don't, I don't think any of that would come through. Well, no, but I'm saying yeah. like, <laughs> it feels like it would be much funnier as a right, stage right. production. Yeah. Whereas I, I was saying that I, I was watching it and I, I do feel like that's one of those things. If you were immersed in like a show production of it, I do think you could hit on some of that physical comedy maybe more so what i find really interesting is most of these people who are telling me that they've done and been in this show are at we're at uh catholic high schools yeah which to me is really interesting based on like the subject matter and some of the like i don't know it's just an interesting no, the catholics don't they don't shy away from bodies in the basement no no, and one of the, one of the interesting things, and and the, Scott, the you brought whole, this up. The whole religion. Yeah. The, one of the interesting <laughs> things that I think Scott, you brought up in our our show notes is you know the the Teddy character and just the whole idea of mental health and the way that that character is played um, back then versus what our perception of it might be now. Like that whole subplot is obviously very different than I think something we would see in a modern film. Yeah. I mean, the entire uh, idea of mental health obviously has evolved a lot in, in the past 60 years since this film was out. Right. Um, But the way that it is handled here for many characters and not even just Teddy is over the top, you know, the way that, you know, something was wrong with somebody back then they would go to the sanitarium. That's where they went. Right. Um, and just the fact that they play it so lightly, uh, my favorite, my favorite line, which is probably the most recognizable line in the film, right? It's also just one of those that like you think about it now and you would, you would never, you would never hear it. Look, I probably should have told you this before, but you see, well, insanity runs in my family. 
It practically gallops. <laughs> right? So it, it's that you could see it on the tagline of the movie on the poster, right? But that would never fly today. Just saying, you know, somebody's insane. Um, so yeah, we well, and insane isn't even a, a thing anymore, right? Like it, we are much more diagnosed, like we would diagnose something way more specific. And back yeah. then it was just like black or white, you know, this person is yeah. insane or not. And, and we see it as more of a, you know, it, it, that people go through a spectrum of mental health and at certain times they could be feeling it more than others. And, and th it's not just Teddy in this movie. Like there, everybody, everybody in this film is undergoing like extreme trauma in some way. The, and and it is kind of brushed off as humorous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but there's also an interesting thing happening there in that, you know, literature of this time, the notion of somebody being mentally unwell. I mean, it, you didn't even need to be. It, it could be like, you know, my wife is hysterical. Oh, well, if it was right? a like woman, she, he wouldn't have needed all that. Exactly. Like there no, you don't actually need to have seconds. anything going on for somebody yeah. to lock you up in, in the sanitarium. And so I found it interesting that there was a notion here of like um, living living with right like that. There's yeah. not a you know lock this person away. They are a danger to society. And then that you find that the the aunties are the right like so. Teddy has been embraced by the family by the community. Like he's Teddy Roosevelt. Like that's that's. But he better he not blow the horn at night. But he <laughs> can't blow yeah. his bugle at night, right? Yeah. Like that's what's gonna get him in trouble. And then you find out that the aunties are killing people and there's this like, you know, disconnect of like, wait, <laughs> right. we, we thought Teddy was the issue, right? Um, they go to another level, right? Because the aunties, what's the reason they're killing people? Probably because these dudes are depressed. Yes. They're yes. yes. They're alone, so, right? There are many troubling yes. conversations to be had around mental illness yes. in this film. And well, then, and then the comment from Jonathan, again, the one moment oh, of like very scary is like that he put needles under his brother's fingernails. Like that's legit. Like that, like that's one of those moments in this movie where you're like, that just went super dark. Yeah, yeah, like when Jonathan first showed up, I, I was not recalling this movie very well. And I'm like, oh, is he like, was he a burg? Like, is he a, a criminal, like a petty criminal, like changing his face? Is he involved with like organized crime or something like that? And then like, no, it's it's the fact that he's just like a serial killer changing his face who has like a friend that 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 hangs out with him. Like, obviously the inspiration for Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> Which we still have not watched. <laughs> yeah, this movie just keeps upping the ante on mental health and not in a way that you would never be able to do today. Yeah. Um, and it's complicated because it's a comedy, right? Like it's right. a dark black comedy, so you can get away with some of those things, but it is it's very, very complex yeah. how it's dealt with in this film. But you could see I like my mindset of watching this whether it be in a theater, like when it first came out or a stage production, like when he does the charge, you know, into the bed and the jokes about like going to panic, you could see where that would play for laughs. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and the taxi driver bit, which was, I mean, I'm, it's so like, gee, I'm sorry. It's so cheesy, but I did laugh when that taxi guy is just sitting there the whole time. Running the mirror. They, yeah. they call a different taxi. <laughs> Yeah. Where I'm in the taxi guys waving down the tax. I mean, it's all ridiculous. But there, and now there is a complexity in the characters, though. Again, like at a time period where that was very black and white. Uh, you know, the notion of mental health was very black and white. Like if there's something wrong with you, you get sent away. Right. You have the you have a, a dimension in this, I, I think, of, um, you know, what, what does that actually what what does wellness look like? Right. right. Like these two aunties are upstanding members of their society. Right. Like the police come and hang out with them on the yeah. daily. This is not a and uh, they've got great, bodies uh, in the basement film right? for the NYPD. They are it's not true. on top of what's going on in the city at no. this point. I just I think it's this I, is I Brooklyn, Brian. Yeah, I think it's an interesting. <laughs> I think it's interesting if you yeah. if you think about it's like, tough because they are they there are moments in this film where they're they're clearly um 
more progressive in their ideals of like I I took the whole relationship with Mortimer and Elaine to be very much like a spoof on like you know young love and like what would be in a film as far as like she she's like he's treating her horribly and then like with like a smile she's kissing oh, him and yeah Mortimer. oh Mortimer oh, like Mortimer. I didn't think that was like a dumb character moment. I thought they were trying to be funny. Right. It was satirical. And so like, yeah, they were, yeah, they were being satirical yeah. about how, that how relationship. How did you compare the, the female, I guess she wasn't the lead because she's, but that relationship as opposed to, you know, remember we were talking about Casablanca. How does that fit in to what we think? Is, is that a relationship that's, well, I always acceptable think acceptable based on kind of modern time, or was that something that was, of that time. My my take on Casablanca is not that it's a great love story. I mean, those are three characters. The love oh, triangle in Casablanca is like a ridiculous character. Do you think she was I thought as she fully formed No, as... no, not even close. Yeah, she is such a minor character that it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, you know, she she enters the film as like the person that ruined Mortimer, right? Like Mort Mortimer was going to be a bachelor for life, which is interestingly what Cary Grant was. Um, and you know, she breaks him of that, like, so that there's some sort of like a feminine wild to her that like, she, he can't, he can't, he can't control himself when she is around, right? He, like he falls apart. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting, you know, she, and she, we see her get thrown, thrown out the door, pushed out the door and she keeps coming back. <laughs> she keeps saying like, can't treat me like this, you know, oh, yeah. like I'm your person. So I think no. she's, she's not stereotypical for what you'd see in you know early 1900s story yeah yeah and i mean we said about um elsa in casablanca is that she you know she is not someone who's judged for her sexuality in casablanca at least by the in in the film i don't think she's judged that way i mean you're you know rick is conflicted over it and and but i don't think the yeah i don't think the film is written so that the audience should be conflicted over. And it's interesting that she is a preacher's daughter, but mm. you never see them in a scene at the same time. Yeah. You see him yeah. at the beginning, but there there's never that like that she's presented as, you know, someone to be controlled, someone like yeah. you know. Was there a subtext that I, I was picking up that the sisters somehow like, you know, pulled the strings on this yeah. to make it happen. Yes. Because they, they don't want him to know what <laughs> Mortimer does for a living, right? Like right. they don't so want they, to... right, but they also like m not played matchmaker, but they were mm -hmm. involved in getting these two together. Yeah. yeah, she's the girl next door. Yeah, yeah. So we all know we oh, real oh, fast on the re the Reverend, right? In the scenes in the beginning, I don't know if it was just me. Did you guys find your entire body just shudder every time he would sneeze? Oh God! Because all I could think of was cover your mouth. Where's your mask? Yes, wear it. He kept sneezing. I'm like, I can't. I can't watch this. It's like giving me PTSD from the past year. You know? Yeah. Very strange. So Scott, let's yeah. put. I want to put this in the context. Most people, sure. even in a modern age, will know at least one Frank Capra movie, yeah. and that's usually it's it's a wonderful life. Because it's played every year, uh, Christmas time, so they'll know that. What you know? What is a Frank Capra movie, and how does this compare in his filmography? You know, where was this for him, and you know, for other people who might have seen this and, and liked it, what other places could they go other than It's a Wonderful Life to see stuff that he did that's real good? So. For me, a Frank Capra movie is about optimism. It's about a little bit of subtext of America and what you can expect from it uh, and what he expects you to expect from it, right? You have It's Wonderful Life. You have the next film you should probably go to in his filmography is It Happened One Night, which is one of the big, you know, it won the big five Oscars uh, before. I don't know, a couple of years back, there were only three that had done that previously, including Sons of the Lambs, which is the greatest film of all time. Yeah, amazing. Um, um, so 
this is a pre-war film for him, right? And it, most people have considered it kind of one of his smaller movies. But if you look at some of the subtext in here, and this this is from, uh, it's a book called The Capper Touch by Matthew Gunter. He, this is exactly what he says. He said, once one sees the Brewster's house as a metaphor for the dark side of American history and liberty, Arsenic and Old Lace takes on a much greater relevance. Capra, either subconsciously or consciously, my guess is the latter, understood that that the play is really about the nature of freedom in America. The contact, the contrast of the sweet dispositions of the ants with their horrific actions illustrates the problem of America itself. Um, and it, there's a lot more subtext in this film than you might think that just the fact, for instance, that he chose Raymond Massey to play the Boris Karloff, Jonathan character. And this comes back also to, to Katie, you were talking about the lighting, the striking lighting, which really gave me, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the film now, wait until dark vibes, wait until dark with uh, great film. Anyway, so there's this there's this shot where Raymond Massey is coming up the basement stairs and he's looking at Dr. Einstein and from the side you can see and he looks almost exactly like Abraham Lincoln, which is no surprise because he's played Abraham Lincoln before, uh, most famously in Abraham Lincoln in Illinois. So there's this whole subtext that Capra is playing with as well that seems to have gotten lost along the way. And... I think that there are little markers throughout the film, the, you know, the fact that there's the cemetery right outside their door, the fact that if you look uh, above the mantle, you can see where the, what, day, what date the homestead was built. You know? So there's all these touches of history in the, throughout the film that Capra touches on. And that's, you know, that's classic Capra, right? Like he, he gives you the story that you think might just be this sweet story, and at the end of the day, it's a little bit more than that because he just can't help himself. So that's what uh, I think it's a more substantial film than than people give it given than give it credit over the past many years. Uh, you're here. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, I, and it I makes agree. me it makes me just think of like the artistry that goes into something like that and how we we do get that from certain directors now. Yeah. But most of the time, we're not getting that. Yeah, like we're you know, especially if we're going to the theater to see, see something, like the, what, the movie that we all loved, shockingly from the past, from com majors. If we can talk about a movie and say like, what's the one movie we talked about the most? It's one hundred percent Midsummer. We, <laughs> I don't know what it is about that movie, but fantastic film. Yeah, and and it's the same kind of idea that like. The director, the writing, everything was was working in conjunction, and there were levels of like nothing is done haphazardly, right? Yeah. And and that if Capra's doing that, and and I'd love to you know go back and try to pick this apart a little more, watch it a few more times, but that I I miss like I get so excited when I see a film like that, so it, it's great yeah. to to. Uh, and you get that from that, some yeah. directors now, right? You yeah. get that from your Finchers. You get yes. that from Paul Thomas Anderson's. Ari Aster is a great example because he's got layers upon layers upon layers. You know, you can go from Hereditary to Midsommar. And then there are pieces in the background of Midsommar that you may not have even seen. We actually worked um, uh, on the PR for the home entertainment release for Midsommar. Ah, we love Midsommar. It was one of the most fun things we ever did. did we you created the, uh, the picture of Florence Pugh with her floral headdress because it's stunning. Well, what we, did, stunning. we put together these press packages, right, that we would send out to influencers and press. And one of the, the items was we created a flower crown that we sent out to people. Ooh. We created tea towels with uh, all the drawings that were on all the walls. Yes. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So. Well painstakingly recreated them because in the film they're literally painted on the walls these weren't created digitally digitally yeah. and then put on the, they were literally painted on so we had to pull them off painstakingly put them on tea towels uh, i think we sent like a meat pie recipe yes. uh, <laughs> but yeah we had a lot of fun with it i love yeah. that film so much oh, it's I, fantastic. I can't wait to see what he does next to be honest yeah, and uh, we, we will always preach that movie. And the other yep. one is Hell or High Water. Oh, yep. I feel like those are ones that we Tom constantly talk about that people were maybe 
little bit less inclined to see. Well, and they're they're both films that you you end and you feel like that was something. Like I like I I need I need to immediately watch this again to figure like it's the difference. It's just like in your brain and and the visuals and combined with storytelling. That's right. Like yeah. That's and that's where we end up feeling. No, we've been talking about that. I need to watch it. So that's another director who's working in that. Robert Eggers. Oh, the witch too. He's just amazing. And yeah. yeah, you just get so many different things. So um, Arsenic and Old Lace, you can rent. Watch it. Uh, if you're someone Should like me, it. who is a Criterion Channel subscriber, uh, it is on <laughs> for the rest of the month, which is almost over, but you can see it there. They have a great, actually, they have a huge uh, selection of Cary Grant films right now. Uh, some of his comedies that you can watch. Uh, so I would highly recommend. And you can get a... Uh, trial subscription so you could shoot right through that stuff Mm -hmm. and you could see that Uh, okay so it's time for us to look at this film in connection king of the hill or bottom of the barrel is arsenic and old lace better than casablanca is it worse than rad and we can always say it is not worse than rad so we can take that (laughs) off the table yeah is arsenic and old lace better than casablanca who wants to go I'll go first and uh, I'll be the first to admit I'm not a huge Casablanca fan. I like the film. Uh, I think it has its important place in history, just like a Citizen Kane. But that's just another film that I don't find that appealing to me. Um, So for me, I would rather watch this if I had the choice between the two. I don't know if it's a better film, but I, I it's a more fun film and a more entertaining film for me. That said, Rad is awesome, and please don't. (laughs) It won't be bottom of the barrel for the question, though. Quick, Scott, would you rather watch Casablanca or Citizen Kane? Casablanca, a hundred times. Okay, me as well. All right, interesting. Katie, what would you take? Yes, I I was wrestling with this today, and I was like, I know objectively I should probably say Casablanca, but when it comes down to what Katie loves, Arsenic and Only swins. (laughs) So this is my, yeah, King of the Hill. Okay, Jim. Yeah, I... I am more on the Arsenic and Old Lace side as well. All right. So my vote doesn't matter. No. I mean, I mean, what you would have picked Casablanca. Casablanca. What would you have picked? Is that you would have said? I would have picked Casablanca. But I I do think I do. What I do love is that we've picked two films that are older films. And I think older films, um, you know, I was this biased to, you know, young people don't want to watch black and white films. They don't think there's meaning. They don't think there's subtext. They it doesn't have special effects. And if you just start watching these films, the older you get, the more you realize that they're just as good, if not better than what's being well, put out. And I now think what ways. we keep coming back around to is like all the special effects in the world, you know, all the camera tricks in the world, CGI can't take the place of good storytelling. Yeah. And Story I, thing, always. And that's it. Like I and I will always feel cheated by a movie that capitalized on visual effects and fell flat on story. Like Roadhouse. No. <laughs> Roadhouse is a perfect film. Roadhouse Don't is a even. perfect film. All right, so we have a new King of the Hill. Arsenic yeah. and Old Lace. Um jumps up okay it is time for five questions here we you go want answers you want answers i want the truth what makes a man mr lebowski what the fuck is the internet <laughs> why all right five question time with scott here we go uh our first question of course thumbs up or thumbs down are you thumbs up or thumbs down on teddy roosevelt <laughs> The real Teddy Roosevelt or the Teddy? <laughs> yeah. You pick. We're yeah. very, we're very open here. You could go with either, either. I one. mean, Teddy Roosevelt, the real Teddy Roosevelt. I would say a thumb sideways. Fair, he yeah. Good things and he had bad things, but you know, uh, give me FDR any day. Okay, the better Roosevelt. Uh, all right, question two: uh, Would you rather watch a Jimmy Stewart film or a Cary Grant film? No disrespect to Jimmy Stewart. I love the man's work, but Cary Grant, uh, he's just too many good movies. There's too many good Hitchcock movies. I love North by Northwest. Yes. Uh, He's just too good. He's too good. 
I do wish we got a drunk Cary Grant scene in this one to rival. <laughs> Dear God. I mean, <laughs> a drunk oh. Cary Grant scene in this movie would have been a dead Garrett Craig. By the way, in the play, they end it by the aunties giving Dr. Witherspoon elderberry wine. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Fill in the blank question three here. Mortimer, of course, wrote a book on marriage and it wasn't a glowing one. Uh, if you were to write a book on marriage, what would it be titled? Um, so the first thing I thought right away was yes, honey. Uh, and then <laughs> better of it. And I went then to cool off, which is, you know, not bad. It's a good way to manage things. But finally, I settled on just listen, because if there's something I've learned over the years, uh, being married, it's at the end of the day, listening is the most important thing. She doesn't always want an answer. And I always want to give her an answer. And uh, sometimes just listening is better. Wait, what? It's so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Making us look awful mm -hmm. with your great response there. Uh, favorite question. Of course, we spent most of, or if not all of this movie in Brooklyn. Um, what is your favorite New York City borough? so difficult. I don't get to New York City as much as I would like to, but uh, it's just got to be Staten Island at the end of the day. And the reason is because it's where the Wu-Tang's from. <laughs> there you go. Great, great reason. Uh, and finally, our deep thoughts question. We're calling back to a favorite Com Majors game. If you could recast some of the characters, you don't have to recast the entire film, but if you were to recast it for a modern reboot of this film, who are you casting? Okay. So I've got the mains. All right. Okay. Go with it. Uh, so Mortimer first, the big main, uh, Finn Whitrock, which is a very strange choice, but uh, at the time when American Horror Story um, Freak Show came out, I was recapping the show for Wall Street Journal at the time, and Finn Whitrock was so electrifying for me and could on a dime switch from funny to weird to gruesome. I love the guy. I think he's a great actor, and I think he'd be perfect for the part. All right. Excellent. Elaine, see, I want to say Brie Larson, but Brie Larson's way too good for that. Like, she doesn't get anything. Doing anything that for her to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's like nothing for her to do. So at the end of the day, I, I don't want to put a good actress in this role. I don't, I don't know who I'd put there. Uh, if I had my choice, Brie Larson, just because I love her. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. The Brewster sisters. So Cloris Leachman would have been perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Lovely lady, hilarious at times. Alas, she's passed away. So uh, instead, I'm going to put Grace and Frankie in her place. Jane oh, Fonda. nice. Oh, oh that's great. That's nice. So great. Right? It's a good choice. Absolutely. Um, and then my last two, I'm stuck between. I like them both. Uh, well, Teddy, let's put Teddy. I, I, I don't know, honestly. Jason Alexander, John Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, All right. I'm going to go out in left field though on this and I'm going to recast, which will probably piss off like, you know, all the alt right people. Uh, Keenan Thompson, I'm going to put. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. great. No, yeah. all right. Don't like our show. Anyway, yeah. They don't, so they fine. don't listen to us. <laughs> you don't have to worry about them. Yeah. So then the other one, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Who's kind of the, the, the Peter Laurie of our time, right? He's got that little bit of a weird look, but he's a great actor. Uh, Rami Malek. And I'm yeah, not a huge oh, Rami Malek fan. Yeah, no, so good. But he would be good in that. Yeah, what a great call yeah, that is. I was thinking like a, if there was, maybe not now, but like early 90s, 80s, Steve Buscemi. Like, uh, uh, Buscemi, yeah. yeah. like that. The that weird that's face. the guy yeah. though, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Con Airship Buscemi. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfect. Or, or Sin City Elijah Wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, and, uh, but my favorite and, and the, the pick I think I'm most proud of because I think it's genius uh, is Jonathan uh, Bill Hader. Yes. Oh, God. 100%. So we love, we love him in Barry. Barry is Barry one is of is, is a hilarious show. If you're not watching it, you should. It's on HBO. Amazing. So funny. And he, and he can be serious and he just got the look. And he uh, can be terrifying. Yep. Yeah. This yeah, be a I, very expensive film, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and hey, let's get Jordan Peele there because there are no special effects, yeah, so we Jordan can spend Peele all the money yeah. on the cast. Get, yeah. get Jordan Peele and, and and skew it a little bit more horror, and and yeah. we don't have to have the weird, uh, you know, 
mental health issues. Like let's, let's skew it a little more horror and, and yeah, I think it'll be good. We can go with it. Um, Scott, where can the majors listeners follow you, find you? What, what can we be looking for from you? Um, I'm, I'm writing all the time, honestly. So you can probably find all my links are at scottwrites.com. Writes like writes with a pen. Um, but otherwise, most of my social media is all just my name, Scott Newmar, N-E-U-M-Y-E-R, like out with the old in with the new. Um, and uh, and that's it. I'm writing all over the place. Most of the writing I'm doing now, I'm doing a lot of stuff uh, writing about books and interviewing a bunch of authors on Shondaland.com. Oh, very nice. Uh, Shonda Rhimes site. So. Awesome. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us, yeah, Scott. Thank you. It, it was amazing. It. it was amazing. And I, uh, uh, the deal look. is the next time you come back, you pick the film. So yeah. and we're watching the burbs, the yes. movie that yes. not only is in my top five by my favorite director of all time, Joe Dante, who is a lovely human walking film encyclopedia. Uh, but it's also the film that put my wife into labor for the first time. <laughs> no, well, save that story. Yeah. Save, Hold on to that nugget. That's like a that's like a major league uh, tease. It's like I've tried spicy food. We walked around the block eight times. Have you tried watching the burbs? There we go. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I suggest to people now. <laughs> I love it. Um, and we will see everybody soon. Goodbye. All right. Everybody. Thanks, Bye, commenters. Everyone.